Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message. Pineview gathers for worship each Sunday beginning at 9.30 a.m. for morning prayer. Sunday school classes for all ages begin at 9.45, followed by our worship gathering at 11 a.m. We also meet each Wednesday night for Bible study and prayer at 7 p.m. in our church fellowship hall. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro, North Carolina. We are a Southern Baptist congregation dedicated to expository preaching and biblical worship. We invite you to join us next Sunday. In an article entitled, Suffering is Our Story, Diodene Tomfu, who is a professor at John Piper's school in Minnesota at Bethlehem Baptist, He writes these words, I want to begin with them today. He says, suffering tends to produce loneliness. When we feel lonely, isolated, sealed off, and detached from others, it's often common for us to believe that no one understands our pain. We can be deceived into thinking that God is distant and uncaring. And while I do not wish to invalidate these emotions, I do want to extinguish the lie that the sufferer is ever alone. We are never alone in suffering because in it we join other saints in a pattern of righteous suffering that has been going on from the inception of salvation history. Are you or other believers around you facing rejection for your faith? Do you feel lonely in your suffering? Does it seem that God is distant and has detached Himself from your pain? Do you feel disappointment, bewilderment, or dismay? Are you sitting in darkness, searching for answers and grasping for hope? In that article, he is pointing us to a truth that you've heard me proclaim many times. It is absolutely essential as a follower of Christ that each and every one of us have a biblical theology of suffering. You see, we live in a world where many say there's no way possible that suffering could be from God. We live in a world that says, well, suffering, the problem of pain, of starving children in Africa, to me that suggests there's proof there is no God. Because if God is love, how can He allow these things? And so we need to know what the Bible says. We need to know what we believe about this idea of suffering. Because if we go with the popular theory that suffering cannot be from God, if we move in that direction, we are failing to look at the entirety of Scripture. Consider consider the garden, firstly. In Genesis 3.15, one of my favorite verses of Scripture, the Lord says to the serpent in the garden, I will put enmity between you and the woman, And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. 
And in that verse of Scripture, we find in God's Word the very first promise of a Redeemer. The very first promise that salvation would one day come. But in that promise is mixed a twinge of suffering. Consider Job. He lost his health, his wealth, his family. He lost everything for following the Lord. Consider Israel, God's chosen people. They were enslaved for 430 years in Egypt, brutalized, lorded over. Consider Jeremiah, who was imprisoned for his faithfulness to God. Zechariah and others like him, where it tells us in Mark or Matthew 23 that they were killed for their faith. And if we come full circle and we consider Jesus today, and we think back to that promise in Genesis 3.15, the promise of a Redeemer who would strike the head of the serpent, but in the process His heel would be bruised. Christ, our suffering Savior, what makes us think that it will be different for us? What makes us think that our flesh is special? This text today gives us a biblical theology of suffering. Something I've been doing here recently is putting on the screen for you our big idea for the week. And today's truth that we're seeking to unpack is that we should not be surprised at suffering, but we should willingly suffer as believers so that God's glory will be revealed. We need a commitment today to the glory of God because if we commit ourselves to that, if we covenant together in that way and say it is God's glory above all things, it will be easier for us to endure the trials, the persecution, the suffering of this life. So what does a biblical theology of suffering look like? Well, in our text today, there's five keys I believe will aid us in discovering that truth. And as we look at the first one in verse 12, we see that the apostle tells the followers who would be reading this letter, don't be surprised at suffering. Verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Have you ever been caught off guard? unprepared? Last night, um, my sister stopped by the house. Grace wanted to make uh, mac and cheese and she called my sister to see because she lives about two blocks away to see if she had any milk because we don't really drink milk and she needed it for her mac and cheese. She said, I need three TBS peas. <laughs> and my sister came over and she measured it out, brought it over. Well, my two nephews came with her and I was in between the porch and the kitchen getting dinner to, ready to go on the grill. And as I'm walking back in the front door, they're in the kitchen, and I hear, I hear Zane. He's the littlest one that sometimes comes with my mom and dad. He's the one that sounds like a hick. And he goes, where's Uncle Wes? Well, I heard him. And Grace said, well, I think he just came in the living room. So I crouched down behind a corner, and as he made his way around that turn, I jumped out, Arr! and he went to squealing and laughing. I caught him off guard. That's the picture that the apostle is painting for us here. Some, something has set you back. Something has caught you off guard. Now, why would it catch you off guard? Because you weren't prepared for it. 
The truth from Scripture today is that we are not to be surprised at suffering. We are to expect it. We are to look for it. We are to be prepared for it. And we do that as we formulate a biblical theology of suffering. Maybe it was something that you failed to prepare for at school, a test, a quiz. Maybe it was a project at work. But life is no different. And Peter is telling us how to avoid being caught off guard when life sets you back on your heels. I want to look at his statement here and break it down word by word. Notice the first thing that he says. I've already pointed it out to you, but it's important today. He says, Beloved, now you're going through an intense season of persecution. A fiery trial, he calls it. But he reminds them who they are in Christ. He takes the time to say, Hey, you Christ's people. Maybe he was thinking back to chapter 2 and verse 5 if your Bibles are still open. Where he said, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Perhaps he was thinking of verse 9 where he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Maybe he was thinking of verse 10 where he said, once you were not a people, now you are a people, God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Beloved, you are God's people. You are purchased by the blood of Christ And the reason why that's key is because we're going to need that revelation as we endure the fiery trials that Peter speaks of. But he moves on to tell them very clearly, do not be surprised. Suffering for a Christian should should not set us back. It shouldn't catch us off guard. If evil and sinful people targeted Jesus, then those who follow in His footsteps should not be surprised when we find ourselves similar targets. He mentions a fiery trial. In the context of the day, we don't know exactly, but Peter probably wrote this letter either shortly before or shortly after the burning of Rome. And that event would set off an over 200-year period of intense persecution of God's people. Their persecutions were fiery ordeals in the sense that they were a part of God's refining process for His people. It was uncomfortable, it was difficult, but they had a promise. If your Bibles are still open, turn with me to James chapter 1. Just a few pages back from where we are in Scripture, James chapter 1 verse 2. It says, "'Count it all joy, my brothers.'" when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There is a purpose in our suffering. And we should not be surprised when it rears its head. He also tells them that it's a normal part of the Christian experience. It wasn't just mere chance that suffering was coming their way. And thank God for that. It is not 
happenstance when suffering comes into your life. I don't care if it's cancer. I don't care if it's the death of a child. As difficult as those things are to face, it is not without a purpose. It is not by accident. God is working. God is moving. You remember that song that we just sang, Our God is the Ancient of Days. He is the Creator, Peter will call Him in this passage of Scripture. He is a sovereign God. Thank God that He is sovereign over our suffering. Thank God that it isn't just mere happenstance. But it's divinely ordained. It's a normal part of our experience. MacArthur says a Christian must not think that his persecution is something that happened accidentally. God allowed it and designed it for the believer's testing and purging and cleansing. Praise God. Don't be surprised at suffering, brothers and sisters, but as we move on, he instructs us that suffering is an opportunity for God's glory to be revealed. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Here's a couple of things that we see here. Firstly, a shared identity with Christ. When we experience the fiery trials that Peter is speaking of, we are sharing in Christ's sufferings. We do not share in His redemptive suffering, but we do share in His righteous suffering. John 15 and 20 says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Christ was always faithful to the will of the Father. To the very last moment, what did He pray in the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. And when you and I endure through our persecution, through our suffering, we share in that obedience. We're identifying with Christ. But he also points us to the fact that we will see Christ's glory revealed. Suffering because of Christ is a blessing because it confirms that we will also enjoy all that Jesus has achieved. What is meant by His glory being revealed? Whenever you see that phrase, it's referring to His second coming when it will be on full display for all to see. And those who endure, those who Christ has called out, those who endure to the end will see that day when Christ's glory is revealed and we will join in. His glory will be on full display and He will bless us through our suffering. Verse 14 says, If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you were blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The Spirit-filled life is a life that glorifies God. And if His Spirit is granted to us in even greater measure when we endure persecution and suffering, we will be glorifying God by the power of His Spirit. The great Warren Wearsby said that the world believes that the absence of suffering means glory, but a Christian's outlook is different. Wearsby goes on to say that suffering Christians do not have to wait for heaven in order to experience His glory. Through the Holy Spirit, they can have the glory now. This explains how martyrs could sing praises to God while bound in the midst of blazing fires. It also explains how 
persecuted Christians, and there are many in today's world, he says, can go to prison and to death without complaining or resisting their captors. As I think back to a book that I read when I was very young, probably even younger than my daughter, and I read it for the first time in school, Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I read the stories of those who were persecuted and murdered for their faith in Christ and how many of them went rejoicing, praising the name of God. That is because of the blessings of His Spirit in our lives, even in suffering and pain. Just as the Israelites were led through the wilderness by a pillar of fire, we are led by God's Spirit as we endure the fiery trials of life. And we will be blessed even through persecution as we realize that God is using our suffering as an opportunity to reveal the glory of God. And so I say to you today, endure, brothers and sisters. Look forward to Christ's return. Keep your eyes fixed on Him and on His glory. The next thing that we see in our text is that some suffering can be avoided. Some suffering can be avoided. Verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. We blame... I just said this to somebody the other day. Somebody was asking me something about the devil. And I said, you know, we blame a lot of things on the devil that aren't his fault. Sometimes it's your own stupidity. Can I say that word in the pulpit? Did I step on any toes? Sometimes it's my own stupidity. And I say, well, the devil's attacking me. No, I was just dumb. I did something stupid. Maybe you've been there. You've experienced that. Well, that's what the Apostle Peter is telling us here. We don't get to claim persecution and play the victim if it is our own fault. Notice what he says here, as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. You say, well, I'd never murder anyone. I'd never steal anything, so I'm good, right? Yeah, but how many of you have been an evildoer? Sowing discord, being prideful, not submitting to the authority of the local church, not doing the things that Christ has called us to do. How many of us have been meddlers? Meddling in other people's business, stirring up dissension perhaps, criticizing, worrying, bothering. Mind your business. Best advice I could give you today, brothers and sisters, mind your business and act like Jesus. Let me say that again. Mind your business and act like Jesus. Avoid the suffering that can be avoided. Avoid unnecessary persecution. But our fourth point that he shares with us in this text is that Christian suffering is to suffer for the right reasons. Verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. While you cannot control the reality of suffering, you can control the reason for suffering. We've already seen in the text that we shouldn't be suffering for sinful reasons. Now he talks about shameful suffering. Here's what I want you to know this morning. Your suffering is not a cause 
for shame. We've been watching American Gospel on Wednesday nights and one of the things that they're so great at is exposing the heresy of the prosperity gospel movement. And there are so many today that would say, well, if you only had more faith, you wouldn't be experiencing this. If you'd give a little bit more, God would bless you. He would open up the storehouses of heaven and He would pour out His blessings in your life. If only you would do more. If you would show more faith, if you would walk in your healing, if you would name it and claim it hogwash, you can do wrong and suffer. Peter makes it clear that you can do right and still suffer. I imagine in my mind that Peter was thinking back to that night when he denied the Lord in the high priest's courtyard. But that wasn't the end of Peter's story. You see, he learned his lesson. He repented of that. He overcame his shame because I imagine he was awfully ashamed of himself. And now he's pointing his readers to the fact that they're not to be ashamed for the gospel of Christ that they're to stand boldly and glorify God as they stand as His disciples, visually glorifying Him as others view our our lives and our, our faith in action, but also verbally as we explain our commitment to those who are lost. God is using suffering And He's using persecution to refine His church. Verse 17 makes this clear, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Peter compares our suffering as believers with the suffering of unbelievers. And let me tell you, there's a vast difference, brothers and sisters. A big difference because we know and believe as God's Word teaches that our suffering in this life is temporary, that it has a purpose, that there's a plan for it, and that God knows the end and He's over it. He's in control of it. The suffering of those who do not obey the gospel of God is a very different suffering. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9, it says, I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, They are my people. And they will say, The Lord is my God. A refining process. You know, a lot of churches today are, are still belly aching because of COVID. Oh, so many people left us. and So many people haven't returned. And I've been guilty of of having those feelings too. I've been guilty of, of having a pity party because there's a lot of folks that we haven't seen in a long time. And it's been difficult to, to get them to come back and to return. But you know what I think? I think God is refining His church. And just because there's been some subtraction doesn't mean that there's not been blessing. It doesn't mean that there's not been addition. It doesn't mean that there's not been growth. You see, we're called to make disciples. We're not called to build cathedrals. And if one of us is 
growing closer to Christ. We're in lockstep with His Word, with His will, with His Spirit. That is a win, brothers and sisters. That is a victory. God is refining. Malachi chapter 3, this is a well-known section of Scripture that proves the same point. Verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, refining them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in the former years. And then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Man, if that doesn't sound like the day that we're living in. Brothers and sisters, there's a refining process going on. And thank God for it. Those unwilling to stand with Christ when they're tested by suffering... It says they belong to those who do not obey the gospel of God. Those who will be judged and condemned. Notice verse 18. It says, If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What does he mean there by scarcely saved? Well, the best explanation that I could come up with in my study this week was that we know and understand based on Scripture that it is with great difficulty you and I will inherit the kingdom of God. It is a narrow gate. It is a hard path. A path that involves persecution, pain, suffering, rejection. It is not easy. MacArthur says if God so strongly and painfully judges His church, which He loves, what will be His fury on the ungodly? Bottom line, brothers and sisters, a willingness to suffer for Christ's sake for the right reasons is evidence that we are in Christ, that we are saved. So suffer well. Point number five, our very last one. Suffering can be God's will for your life. Suffering can be God's will for your life. Verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. That word therefore causes us to ask, what is it there for? And it draws these encouragements to a conclusion, but it introduces a command in view. He's saying to us, we suffer according to to God's will. It is not accidental, but purposeful. Nothing happens outside of God's plan, God's purpose, and God's pleasure. It is His will. It is His good pleasure to refine His people. Genesis 5 and 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Romans 8 and 28. We know that for those who love God, who are called according to His purposes. All things are working together for good. 
And if we suffer according to the will of God, then we can rest assured, brothers and sisters, that we are in the hands of a sovereign God. We trust His sovereignty. If it's His will for you and I to suffer, then why would you not entrust yourself to Him? That word, entrust, is a banking term. We see it many times in the pages of Scripture. It's referring to something valuable, money, jewelry, something that's precious, that's entrusted, that's handed to someone for safekeeping. Luke 23, verse 46, Jesus said, Father, into Your hands I commit, I entrust my spirit. Entrust your soul. As it says in verse 19, to the faithful Creator, the Ancient of Days, the firm foundation that we have sung about this morning. This is the only verse of Scripture, the only one in the New Testament that refers to God as Creator. And whenever we see that term applied to God, it emphasizes His sovereignty, His omnipotence, His his victory over all things. Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Let me share with you a few Scripture references very quickly. Galatians 6 and 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 1 Corinthians 15 and 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And finally, Hebrews 6 and 10 that says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. Perseverance, difficulty, trials, they will come. But you and I can rest firmly, secure in the hands of a sovereign God, a faithful Creator. What I want you to know today is that God sees, that God cares, and that God is there. Some of you are dealing with difficult, fiery trials right now, whether it's family, whether it's a cancer diagnosis. Maybe you feel like you're in a a transitional season of life and you're not sure what's ahead. You don't know where to turn. Entrust your souls to a faithful Creator, brothers and sisters, while doing good. It's not purposeless. Your pain is not without great purpose. In the World Biblical Commentary, J. Michael Ramsey says the most striking feature of this section 
And of verse 19 is its bold emphasis on the sovereignty and the initiative of God, even in the suffering of His own people. It is by God's hand. Thanks be to God for it. So that's where we end with a bedrock trust in His sovereignty, a commitment to His will. When you committed your life to God, when you repented of your sins and trusted Christ, all you were doing was giving back to God what He created anyways. You were entrusting your soul into His hands, into His care. Brothers and sisters, we do the same thing when we go through persecution and suffering. And keep in mind the very first word of our text today, Beloved, you are His people. You are in His hand. As I close, I return to that article by Diodene Tamfu. In the last lines of it, he says, If you endure your suffering with joy, like the saints of old, you will be an example for others. Your faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ will be greatly prized through you. And God will be greatly glorified in your life as He sanctifies and guards your faith through the fires of the established pattern of excruciating suffering. Christians, suffer well. Suffer with confidence. Suffer for God's glory. This is the Word of God. It is for us as people. We say thanks be to God for it. If you would like more information about Pineview Baptist Church, we invite you to follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. There you will find information about our service times, upcoming events, directions to our church, and videos of our Sunday services.